Hello, and welcome to episode 172 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. A warm welcome to Sunny S. and Sylvia V. to the Modern Manager community. If you've never checked out what membership has to offer, I urge you to go to themodernmanager.com slash join and learn about the benefits of membership and how these resources and supports can help you develop your rockstar manager skills. Today's guest is Parneet Pal. Parneet is a Harvard and Columbia-trained physician working at the intersection of lifestyle medicine, technology, and behavior change. An educator and science communicator, she applies her subject matter expertise to optimize human health and its impact on business leadership and planetary well-being. As chief science officer at Wisdom Labs, she focuses on solving for stress, burnout, and loneliness in the workplace. Parneet and I talk about behavior change. We get into the brain science, motivation, and lots and lots of tips for how to follow through on new behaviors or habits, even when it feels so hard. And of course, we talk about what you could do as a manager to help your team members change their behavior. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Welcome, Harneet. It is lovely to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Thank you for having me, Mamie. So we're going to talk about behavior change. So why don't you start us off by sharing what are the key principles of effective behavior change? So, you know, my my interest in behavior change uh, stemmed from the fact that, you know, what I noticed, um, you know, I trained as a physician and then I worked in developing well-being, preventative well-being programs. And what I started to notice was that, you know, I was designing these very elaborate programs and laying out the best science and doing the best diagnostic tests for folks who were really interested in becoming healthier and staying well. So they had, you know, lots of motivation, very good intentions. Uh, and we would come up with these elaborate plans, but then on follow-up a few months later or a year later, uh, when they came back, usually nothing much had changed. And I realized back then that it's one thing to provide information to people, but it's a whole other thing to actually put that information into practical use. And so my interest became how could I better help people uh, close that gap between uh, wanting to do something and actually doing it. Uh, and there's a whole science, you know, there are many different principles uh, around behavior change. But for me, it kind of boils down to three main buckets. The first one is getting very clear about your intention. And we can maybe go a little bit deeper into intention uh, later. But for getting very clear about the motivation, you know, why do you actually want to make this change? Uh, and there's a little bit of science there that we can tap into in terms of Uh, aligning your subconscious motivations to what your conscious mind may be telling you. The second important part after you uh, crystallize your intention and motivation is then to have access to the correct technique or get to know the skill or the content associated with whatever that change might be. So basically make sure that you are learning the right thing that is uh, evidence-based and hopefully from a good instructor or teacher or source. And then the final thing is once you've started to make those changes, how can you optimize your environment? And when I talk about environment, I'm referring to both uh, our physical environment. So what are the things uh, around you or the technology around you 
that can remind you and really support you in making that change every single day, but then also social support. So we know from the research into behavior changes that that piece, that kind of social support that you have from your family, friends, co-workers is really crucial. Uh, and the reason that a lot of us stumble and often are unable to make the kinds of changes that we make is because we lack, well, any one of those things that I just mentioned, but especially um, that social support. So I, I love all this because I'm a huge behavior change geek, even though I don't actually have any official like <laughs> studies in this stuff. But you just explained that so succinctly and clearly. So first, just thanks for making that very accessible. Um, but I want to start where you started with this idea of being clear on your intentions. And you said something about aligning your subconscious and your conscious mind. So can you say more about that? Because I feel like that is where I'm thinking around, like we always, we say we want to do something and then we don't ever follow through. And so there must be something going on inside that saying somehow subconsciously we're not aligned in that way. Yeah. And it's, you know, and by the way, you know, as your listeners are thinking about these concepts, I want to just mention that there's no judgment here, right? We are all in the same boat. Uh, we all struggle with aligning our conscious and subconscious intentions. So, but but the key there is that once you understand what that is, then it can really empower you to make that difference more effectively. So when I talk about conscious and subconscious intentions, you know, when we think about our behavior, so you think about, for example, I'll give you, um, we take the example of somebody maybe who wants to meditate more, right? They're feeling stressed out and they want to meditate more. So they decide, you know, great, I'm going to wake up every single morning and I'm going to use um, an app maybe, uh, and I'm going to practice meditation for 30 minutes every day. And, you know, by the end of the year, I'm going to be calm and focused and all will be well in my world. And usually what we find is that, uh, you know, they start, you know, the, that that motivation starts to get dissipated pretty quickly uh, in the first few days. Um, you know, they might have some competing motivations come up, right? There might be a, a work deadline or there might be a family task that may come up or maybe travel or maybe, you know, it's just too cozy and it's easier to just kind of stay in bed at that time in the morning when you promised yourself that you would get up and meditate. So all of these are really important things to start noticing. And in those moments when you know, you kind of know, yes, I should be getting up to, uh, you know, to meditate right now, but that motivation is not matching up is that's the time to think about, well, why did I want to meditate in the first place? So here we'll start to notice our conscious intentions, right? So in, in my example, it might be, well, I want to stress less. You know, I've been hearing all these stories about um, anxiety and depression and burnout in the workplace. And, you know, my workload has increased and I definitely want to do something about that which is great. And that's a great example and very good example of a conscious intention. But from the brain's uh, point of view of, you know, only about five or 10% of the actions and behaviors that we participate in on a daily basis stem from these kind of conscious uh, motivations. Most of our behavior comes from uh, habitual patterns uh, that are subconscious. And the reason for that is efficacy, you know, from an evolutionary standpoint, right? So if we, if the brain had to consciously think about every single thing that we do, you know, the way that you're sitting right now, how you eat your food, how you drive your car, and all of the countless tasks that we do every day, you know, we wouldn't get much done. And so 
the brain tries to, you know, based on our experiences and uh, depending on our personality and our life experiences, we the brain tries to learn very quickly and make most of these tasks, tasks and behaviors habitual and subconscious so that we can get on with and get lots of things done. And then in a moment of stress, when especially when we're dealing with something difficult, what the brain then resorts to because it has to stay efficient and it has to conserve energy is that it kind of says, okay, you know, whatever your conscious mind was thinking about, that's all good. But right now in this moment of stress, because I want to conserve my energy and I want to be efficient, I really want to just prioritize what's important for my survival. And so from a survival standpoint, what, what's important to your brain? You know, it's your safety is important. Your access to reward is important and your ability to connect with others is important and your self-identity or your, you know, how you think about yourself and your self-image is really important. And so when we start to think about behavior change and new habits that we want to adopt, the key to aligning your conscious and subconscious intentions is to keep asking the question, why? to whatever that conscious intention reason you may have come up with. So I want to reduce my stress, but why? Well, because I want to stay healthy. But why do you want to stay healthy? Well, because I want to live a longer life. Why do you want to live a longer life? Well, because I maybe in somebody's case, it might be I want to live to uh, have all these beautiful experiences with my family and my children, and my grandchildren. But for somebody else, it might be, well, I want to be healthy because there's so much good and that I want to do in the world and have, you know, this kind of impact. And I want to be available and have that energy to do that. So and, and you know, even as I'm talking about these reasons, I'm noticing that the energy in my body is shifting and I'm getting a little more passionate about the reason uh, for meditating in the morning, you know, which is less about being healthy, but in my, you know, in this case might be more about the impact that I want to have in the world or my connection to my family. And when you investigate that kind of intention, you'll start to notice that, oh, you know, having impact in the world is tied to one of those basic survival motivations uh, around reward or around your self-image or your identity. So those are strong. Those are the kinds of intentions that the, the subconscious brain really cares about. Or, or in the case of, you know, aligning with your family, you know, that's all about connection, your social connection. That's, again, very important for the brain from a survival standpoint. So, so that's a whole uh, sort of um, thinking behind aligning the conscious and subconscious intentions. And then once you crystallize that, then in those moments of stress, it's not that every single time you're going to be able to override you know, something stressful that comes up or that might get in the way of you enacting that behavior. But it just increases the chances that you're able to remember, you know, you're waking up in the morning and it's really cozy. You don't want to get out of bed. And you're like, but wait a second, you know, I, you know, that that impact, social impact project that I'm working on and this, you know, company that I'm building, I'm really passionate about that. You know, that difference, that's a difference I want to make. And then you're more likely to get out of bed and, and meditate than if you were just to say, oh, this is to reduce uh, stress in my life. Wow. It's amazing how something so simple, right? This kind of like little simple switch of how you're thinking about something can be so dramatic in terms of its, of its impact. And I know I've definitely experienced what you're talking about when it comes to thinking about the identity portion of it, like where I've said things like, I'm the kind of person who exercises five days a week. So mm -hmm. I, and when I get up in the morning and it's like six of I'm like, I really don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> and I just remember, I say, yeah, but I'm the kind of person that exercises 
five days a week. And I'm not going to be able to do that if I don't get out of bed right now. And like, and I don't want to have that like cognitive dissonance of saying and like believing myself to be one way, but then showing up in the world in a different way. And it's just like those little mindset triggers that can totally change how we feel about a new behavior or even an existing behavior that sometimes is hard to do in those moments. So yeah, yeah, beautifully said. And yeah, you know, the the phrase I use is I'm an athlete, (laughs) even though I'm not, but I, I, um, you know, one of my uh, great joys, uh, you know, just by way of example, you know, my stumbling block in terms of my health and well-being has always been exercise. And again, I can rattle off all the benefits of exercise um, from a physiologic standpoint, but when it comes to actually doing it, I've really struggled with maintaining uh, an exercise routine throughout my life. But when I started sort of shifting my mindset around that, and one of the, um, you know, I sort of, I hate going to the gym or, or, you know, doing similar kinds of uh, exercise activities. But then when I was introduced to indoor rowing, for example, at my local club, uh, there's a rowing club where I get to be part of a community. So again, alluding to that social support piece, which is really important. But then also I love what one of the instructors tells us, you know, uh, she says that rowing is a sport, you know, it's not a recreational activity. It's not a fitness activity. It's a sport and we're all athletes. And so for me, at least, you know, that kind of that, um, just even saying that or reminding myself of that is such a huge motivation. And then the kind of positive feedback that you get both in the moment, right? So again, reward, what is the reward that you get when you just after you've completed that activity? It's a huge boost, which will reinforce those uh, habit loops in the brain and make you want to do that activity again. Um, But also having that kind of um, social support, because you don't want to let your team down, you know, you want to show up on a consistent basis. Um, There's storytelling and sort of that human interaction and that Again, so there's so many, all those survival needs are being met, right? You get that boost of reward, you, um, you're healthier, which means you're, you know, you're going to be safer and you will survive longer, but then your need for social connection is, is also being met and you're building this, this new identity that you really love. Um, so hopefully that, hopefully that's giving folks some, uh, ideas around how they can start to make those kinds of changes in their lives. So I want to shift gears a little bit because, you know, I think, you know, we often, at least a lot of the examples that I've come across when looking at behavior change are often related to health. And that for sure is a huge portion of people's lives and, you know, being able to stay healthy and their eating and sleep habits and exercise and all of that. But I know also that as managers, there's many types of behavior <laughs> change that we are trying to implement um, that maybe don't have to do with those kind of common subjects, but I'm thinking things like, you know, I want to plan, I want to be better at like planning my day, or I want to be better at at giving feedback in real time. Uh, I want to be better at managing meetings and noticing when their conversation is going off track. I mean, there's a million new habits that managers want to add or get rid of, Mm -hmm. um, you know, getting rid of the bad habits, which is a whole other conversation. Right. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about how we can be more aware or in the moment when we're not following through on a behavior that we want to do. So you mentioned kind of like tapping into our conscious brain. Are there other tips and tricks related to our physical environment or our social environment that can help us kind of maintain that consciousness so that when we say, I want to stop interrupting people in meetings, I actually can do it. (laughs) 
That's such a great question. And, uh, and absolutely, yes. So I, and I think th- this is a good place to start thinking about how the science of mindfulness can be such a powerful ally for managers who are looking to become more self-aware, uh, catch themselves, you know, when um, they're in the middle of a ho- an old habitual pattern, and then to start building those new habits. And, you know, just, just very broadly, I think, you know, for all the examples of the different habits or changes that you mentioned for managers, you know, getting the right kind of guidance on there is, for example, if, you know, they're looking for productivity or time management skills, there's a ton of information there uh, on there are many different experts in this area. So, so sometimes it's just a matter of figuring out or finding out the correct technique, right? So remember in the effective behavior change, learning the skill well and effectively is one part of that. So sometimes that might be the struggle that that it, it just might be that what your the techniques that you're using or the strategies that you're using are not uh, the most effective and you just need to find something new. And this is again where you can tap into your social network and um, and find out what others are doing. But I think coming back to your point about um, self-awareness, you know, mindfulness and why I love the practice of mindfulness and what the science has been showing, what the research shows in the past two decades, is that when we become more mindful, we are basically able to interrupt uh, or catch ourselves between uh, a stimulus or a trigger in the environment and our reaction in that present moment. So in your example, if we're in a meeting and we have a habit of interrupting people, so the trigger is somebody saying something and your habitual reaction is to say something before they've finished. And this is, again, to our previous point, this is nothing but a habitual pattern of behavior that we have gotten used to because we've been doing it for many, many years, probably a childhood experience related to that. But in this present moment, being mindful means to start to build your capacity for being fully present, which means being full attention to your breath, to your body, to your thoughts, and to your emotions right here, right now. So even right now, for example, those of us who are listening to this conversation, take a quick moment to check in with what's the quality of your breath right now? Are you breathing fast? Are you breathing slow? You know, how does your body feel right now? Are you feeling good in your body, energetic? Are you, are there some aches or pains somewhere? And then to start to notice, you know, what are the themes of thinking that are buzzing around in your mind right now? Uh, maybe there are thoughts related to behavior change, or maybe you're thinking about what you're going to have for lunch later on, or maybe you're thinking about something that happened 10 years ago. And then start to notice your emotions. You know, So all of this thinking that, that's happening in your mind right now, how does it make you feel? You know, So does it, are you feeling rested right now? Are you feeling stressed? Are you feeling anxious? Are you feeling happy? And so when we say be mindful or be present in this uh, right now, what we're seeing is, do you have the ability to keep your breath, your body, your thoughts and emotions in mind? And the point of keeping all those things in mind right now is because you'll start to notice, oh, you know, my mind has this tendency to think about the past or to worry about the future. And it's just a way for us to bring ourselves back into this present moment. And then we can see clearly. We can see clearly what's happening right now in front of me. And then the second part of mindfulness 
which gets lost in a lot of the conversations around mindfulness because people just pay attention to this this um, capacity for focus, which is only 50% of the equation. But the other 50% is what do you do with this information that you're noticing now that you're seeing things clearly? And when we practice mindfulness, we get better and better at responding skillfully. Responding skillfully means responding in an empathic and compassionate way for the best outcomes, both for yourself and for the people around you. So if you bring that lens to your meeting as a manager, uh, you know, mindfulness can start even before the meeting, right? It can start with just uh, your ability to arrive at the meeting in a more focused and, and calm way. And again, there are many practice, simple practices you can do, just a few deep breaths even uh, before you go into the meeting to anchor yourself in the present moment. But then when once a conversation starts uh, and when somebody else is saying something, especially if it's something that's triggering a difficult emotion in you, the whole point of mindfulness practice is that you get better and better at noticing, okay, that person just said something, they're in the middle of their sentence, and I'm noticing that, oh, you know, my heart is beating quicker, and I have this like burning in the pit of my stomach, and I'm, you know, the, so again, you're noticing your emotions, you're noticing what's happening in your body, you're noticing your breath, you're noticing your thoughts, you know, I'm having all these thoughts about all the bad things I want to do to this person, or the, you know, all the replies that I want to give that will put them in their place. But then as you notice that, you can, you can pause and take a breath and say, yes, now that I'm noticing and I'm aware of everything that's coming up in the present moment, what's the most skillful response here? What's the most empathic and compassionate response that's good for me and for my team right now? And usually you'll notice that, you know, again, it's different for different people, but usually it will involve letting the other person finish what they have to say and then taking a pause and then uh, responding in a way that uh, hopefully brings the team together rather than as uh, something that's uh, divisive. Wow. I mean, I was, as I was listening, I was like doing my own breath and feeling my own body. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I definitely do not do that often enough. So thank you for giving me that suggestion and giving me a moment <laughs> to experience it. I, I want to pause into the role of now helping others with their behavior change. And you've mentioned a few times how powerful it is to have that social community, that social support. And I know, you know, as managers, part of our job is to help our team members be their best selves. And sometimes that means supporting them to change their behaviors. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or guidance on how managers can approach the conversation with their colleagues around behavior change and how they can best show up and support their colleagues to follow through on that behavior change. Yeah. And again, there are so many different factors and every culture is different. Uh, every team is different. But I think, you know, some places to start there would be, I think if a, if a manager is starting to think about, you know, changes in their team members to get very clear on your intention first as well for why you want that team member to make that change. Uh, and I, I always shy away from folks sort of mandating or forcing others. And I know that's not the intent behind the question, but uh, just to be, you know, be very clear as to why we want this particular change to happen. And again, just getting clear about your intentions, you know, what kind of place are you coming from in this conversation that you're going to have with the team member? Is it only restricted to fulfilling, you know, sort of your goals and, and what you want to achieve? Or are you also looking out for the personal development of the person involved? I also think that it's really hard 
to make other people change. I don't think that's a very fruitful endeavor, honestly. But I think as managers, one of the things that we can do to encourage change, and of course, you know, we all want to grow, we want, all want to develop as a team, we all want to do better, is you know, once you get clear on, on the direction that you want to go in, is to first exemplify that and become the role model for that kind of behavior. We've all had this experience, right? We, if Whenever we're told to do something, we're usually less likely to do it. But when we admire somebody or when we admire the traits that we're seeing in somebody else and we're noticing the outcomes, we're more likely to be inspired to, to do the same. Now, having said all that, I think in the workplace context, especially, you know, you know, at Wisdom Labs, we work with companies and we're solving for stress and burnout and loneliness. So uh, some of the behaviors that sort of we focus on or the trends that we see is that whatever these not so helpful behaviors might be, the end result is that it's resulting in those increased rates of stress or increased rates of burnout. So I think as a manager or as a leader, one of the most powerful things that you can do is to understand what causes burnout on, on teams. Uh, and I don't know if you've talked about this topic in other episodes, but I think one important fallacy to kind of clear up is that when we think of burnout at work, we often think of it as, a, as an individual responsibility. We tend to think of it as, uh, oh, you know, it's just a mismatch between the amount of work that we have to do and the resources that are available to us. But the research clearly shows that that's, yes, that's part of the equation, but, but that's only a very small part of the equation. And of course, we need to take an individual responsibility and we want to make sure that we're investing in our self-care. But the organizational and team factors that contribute to burnout uh, are much more important. So I think if we want to enable behavior change in a way that fosters greater collaboration, calm and focus and creativity in a team, managers need to pay attention to those six causes of burnout. And I'm happy to run through those if you think those will be useful. Yeah, let's let's close up on this topic. So yeah, give me the six factors. You know, so the first factor when it comes to burnout is the manager should be thinking about obviously the workload, right? So that's simple. I think everybody uh, can understand that very quickly. So is there a reasonable workload? You know, what are the work schedules, workflows like, and how can those be improved? And again, getting that kind of feedback from your team members on a regular basis, doing the kinds of che regular check-ins that are needed, just assessing, do you even know how folks in your team are feeling? Are they overwhelmed? Do they feel productive? Are they having fun doing their work? So that's the first aspect. Then the second aspect is the sense of reward. And, by, and this refers to, you know, not only the financial compensation in the team and whether or not that's fair, but also the emotional rewards. So are you giving enough appreciation and recognition? You know, do you take time to call out people who are doing really well in a team meeting? Do you give the kind of uh, feedback that's important uh, on, on the work that they're doing? The third important aspect to pay attention to is, you know, how much control or autonomy do um, your team members have in the tasks that they do. So one of the very uh, big causes of burnout is having a lot of responsibility without having enough uh, decision-making capacity or, or authority or uh, autonomy. So if there are areas of improvement that might give a little more flexibility to the folks that you're working with, you can delegate some more. Um, that will go a long way in helping people not, not move towards burnout. The uh, other factor that's important is a sense of fairness of, or transparency. Um, so, you know, 
are there open you know open communications so people know what the you know what what are the goals that we're heading towards or what are the you know how are the decisions being made and are they fair to everyone uh, involved and then the last two factors are around a sense of community in the workplace so how can managers make sure that they make those um, occasions available or events available or opportunities available for people, not just from within the team, but maybe throughout the organization to connect with each other and not talk about work or, or to connect with each other on their particular or personal areas of interest that they might have. And then finally, it's, it's uh, you know, burnout happens when the values that, that we have as individuals are not aligned to the values of the mission of the organization. So I think this is more from an individual's uh, standpoint to just, you know, if you're noticing that you're you're feeling overwhelmed and stressed, uh, to really make sure that the way that you're showing up in the team or what you're noticing in the culture is really aligned to your own personal values. And, and, it, and I know that, that, that that's a lot there, but I hope this is giving managers uh, some pause to start to think about, you know, if I want to enable a particular kind of behavior change, am I creating and contributing to this kind of supportive environment that will uh, encourage folks or enable people to be able to make that change on their own versus, you know, am I creating an environment that's just uh, contributing to burnout? Well, I love these six different ideas and, and frames that you've shared because just as you were saying, I'm thinking about managers who are like, I want my team members, you know, to take more ownership over the work, or I want them to like make decisions and, uh, you know, and not, you know, have to like go of all these back and forth channels or whatever it might be. And that so much of that gets embedded into the way that we show up, right? Are we creating the environment that they feel comfortable and confident to, to have that autonomy that we're telling them we want them to take? <laughs> so, I think you're you're giving us a lot of ideas of places to look where we can change our own behavior to support the behavior change of our colleagues. So I appreciate that. And unfortunately, we're out of time now. <laughs> so Pani, can you tell us where people can learn more about you and keep up with your work? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you can find me at wisdomlabs.com and you can follow us on Twitter at Wisdom Labs Inc. Uh, and you can also find us on LinkedIn. And yeah, you can reach out to me personally on LinkedIn as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. And um, one last thing, maybe before we go, um, I would love to tell folks about the October uh, Mindfulness Challenge if they're so inclined to join that. Yes, please go right ahead. Uh, so for everyone who's listening, you know, there's a great opportunity, uh, a free opportunity for uh, you as managers, as teams to participate in our 30 day mental fitness challenge that we're holding in October of 2021. It's a mindfulness challenge. So we encourage folks to sign up as teams, as organizations to use our Wise at Work app, which is made available for free. And um, just to practice 5, 10, 15 minutes a day as individuals, as teams. Uh, and we've uh, partnered with LinkedIn for this endeavor. So you can find more information about this at wisdomlabs.com. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a wonderful community that we have, you know, more than 100 organizations generally joining. Um, and there are free um, webinars throughout the month, of, um, you know, from business experts and mindfulness experts um, that you get access to. Uh, and it's just a great way, you know, just in the spirit of behavior change. It's a it's a great way to spark that kind of initial motivation if you're interested in helping your teams um, manage their stress and their anxiety and their burnout. 
Sounds like a fantastic opportunity. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. As you heard me mention, I am a behavior change nerd. So this week's bonus is my lessons learned document on behavior change and habit formation. I have read so many books and articles, listened to so many podcasts on these topics. And as I'm reading and processing, I capture the concepts and my own thoughts so I can remember and reference them in the future. So I'm going to share with you that document where all these ideas are held so that you get to learn what I've been learning without having to read all those books. I have never shared my personal notes like this before, and it is only available to members of the Modern Manager community. So to get my private notes on behavior change and habit formation, go to themodernmanager.com slash join and become a member today. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rockstar boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.